All right, hit it. Today on Flawedcast. On today's episode, we discuss the similarities of Shelley Luther, the salon owner in Dallas, Texas, who reopened against the governor's wishes, and Brigadier General Anthony C. McAuliffe's nuts. Flawedcast. Flawedcast. Get in the arena. everyone want to welcome you to another fun-filled exciting episode of Flawedcast. as always i am here with my sweet and sometimes salty co-hosts jason i do like to be uh compared to candy from time to time so i appreciate that i was actually thinking chinese food Ooh, sweet and salty chinese food the, the cream of some yum bat oh i was thinking more like dog but all right tandoori chicken tandoori dog <laughs> so um wait don't let shandy hear that Sorry, Shannon. So what's happening, Will Willie Will? Not much, my friend. How has this week been for you? Good? You know, it's been a productive week. It's the most productive week since coronavirus has stolen our lives. Well, amen to that, brother. We want to thank everyone for listening once again. Last couple episodes, we've been reporting some increases in numbers and just absolutely for, you know, I was just telling Jason, our daily listens have increased about 20% in the last week. Booyah! Uh, we're just very humble. Just thank you. We trust and believe that the synergy between us, the preparation that we do, and kind of, you know, our analysis of everything is kind of resonate with people. That's what our hope is. And we're at least making you think and getting into that arena. Get in the arena. So, but with that, uh, make sure you do follow us, subscribe. We're on YouTube. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, find us on any social media platform like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Gab, Parlor, FlawedInc.com. You need to get in touch with us, info at FlawedInc.com. A lot of cool stuff happening. Uh, refining our t-shirts, a couple other cool things. We have some business cards and other stuff like that coming out soon. And then once again, just to tease my book, the process of having to come out is narrowing. So I thank all those who've been asking and reminded me about that. Rock and roll, Willie. So as teased, we're going to be talking about nuts today. Well, McAuliffe's nuts. McAuliffe's that is. nuts. General Brigadier General McAuliffe. Yes. Also known as Tony. Tony. Uh, Anthony C. McAuliffe. His uh, Lacoste Nosta name would be Tony Nuts. Tony Nuts. Tony Nuts. But well, uh, what is what is Tony's nuts? Have to do with Shelly Luther. Well, I'll just. Well, we're going to talk about Shelly's nuts too. All right. You know. Um, so we. The, the big thing this week is probably going to come out a little after it's happened. But the preface this with how this story came about because we had another thing we're going to talk about this week. But we've just been observing what's happening. The, the absolute tyrannical uh, overreach. Forced to observe what's happening. By the well, way, yeah, Can't well, get away from it. Sorry. Well, well, you could, but I don't have the disposition. I can just put my hand in the, head in the sand. But right. nonetheless, uh, you know the gross overreach of authority and, and overstepping of power that we're just continually seeing people with, you know, in the court systems, the, the governors, even some leaders of health departments, which I have no idea how the hell that's even possible because it's not even elected. But nonetheless, well, 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 one of my favorites is them telling you what you can and can't buy when you go into Walmart. You can go into Walmart, but you can only buy the things we want. What, is this communist America? Are you kidding me? Welcome to socialism. But nonetheless, what struck me is, you know, just a real quick story. If you don't know, this woman was literally forced 
forced to say, you know, my shop's been closed. She owns a salon. She's not making any money. She had several other jobs because of the Corona uh, pandemic. She hadn't been able to generate income and single mother of three, single mother of three. And she's like, listen, I'm down to my last X amount of money. I either pay my mortgage or I pay the lease on my business so I can reopen my business, hire back the other people that she had. And so they can start to make money too, because it's not just her and her family, it's her employees and say, we have to do, we are just at this point where we have to begin to make money again or else. Or the business is gone and the business is what supports her family. It's basic math. To me, it just speaks of how dare you, how dare you say someone can't make a living because ultimately what's going to happen, her kids are going to starve. Lose her house, be on the street. So this woman took a calculated risk. Anyway, so she was penalized. She was fined. She was brought before the Dallas judge. And basically, this guy was sitting on his high throne saying, you know, and I'm paraphrasing. This is my interpretation. You have put lives in danger. Uh, You've disobeyed my order. You have to apologize or pay a fine and go to jail. And, you know, much to her credit, she said, judge, I hear what you're saying, but respectfully, I disagree. And at that point, she said, I have children that I don't have money to feed them. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make my mortgage. I don't know the people that work for me. How are they going to support themselves? So on and so forth. So the judge put her in in jail, threw her in the pokey. And and find her $7,000. Find her seven grand. This tyrannical judge in Dallas, who uh, is friends with Barry Santorum, he was given orders from the Texas State Attorney General to release her. He refused. At that point, the governor, Abbott of Texas, stepped in and said, you must release her. And he still said no. Now, the governor of any state can excommunicate anyone's sentence. Right. That it doesn't matter Hawaii, Ohio, whatever. That's just a common known thing. But this judge said no. What kind of struck in my mind, and this is General McAuliffe is nuts and Shelley's nuts, if you will, Shelley Luther's nuts, this is that what I would have totally loved to hear her say, and this is I would this is me, I, I in my mind, because I'm a badass, I think I I would have said this, <laughs> but you know, I would have liked to have said, judge, respectfully nuts. Jason's going to uh, share a little bit about what Joe McAuliffe's nuts and why, if you've ever heard the term nuts, when someone says nuts to you, it's not just talking about, you know, like a guy's balls. It actually has more of an implication. So we're going to get into a little bit of the history and uh, I'm going to put a link where I got this because this is actually off of the Army's official website and they have a lot of cool stuff in regards to history from their accounts and stuff. But uh, Jason, go ahead. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do is this. This is a long story. We're going to paraphrase. Many may paragraphs. So we're going to paraphrase, and we're going to do it together. So I'm going to talk about some things as I kind of paraphrase. Bill's going to jump in, and we'll go back and forth, and we'll give you guys this whole story because it's a great story. And and I will put the link so you can go back and read the whole thing because there's a lot of details, lots of ranks, lots of locations. For our intents and purposes, you don't need to know that. But it's just if you're a fan of history, uh, especially World War II history, and you really want to know, like, what these guys were thinking because it's from their personal testimony, it's great. So we're going to include that link in the the bio. And the area we're talking about because we're not going to get in the names of towns too much here, is, you said, Man of Brothers, Bill? You're Bastone. We yeah, the, the, the Battle of Bastone, which if you've ever seen the, the miniseries Band of Brothers, the lion's share of that, that series is they, they're there. They're in Bastone, and that's the scene where these guys are like, for months, like they can't light a fire. It's right. snowing. This There's is like, a real... This is real actual yes. event that took place in yes. a real actual battle in World War II. This is not a fictional story. Right. This is a But we're not going to get into a lot of some of the details or just right. make it too long. So basically let's start off with this. On December 22nd, 1944, in the morning, a group of four German soldiers waving white flags approached American lines. The group had two officers in and a couple enlisted men, two and two. Uh, the one officer was carrying a briefcase under his arm. Lieutenant Hank. Hanky was his There name. you go, Hanky. Yeah. Lieutenant Hank's carrying a briefcase under his arm. They're on official SS Nazi business. 
Yes, very official. So the Americans defending in that the position in that location, um, they had a road a road stop, a roadblock. Right. Me. They came up in the roadblock in a, in a car. They had white flags. Right. Which, so the, yeah. the Germans actually walked past a bazooka team in a foxhole in front of this farm, right, and stopped in front of the foxhole of uh, another PFC and private first class. Right. Private first class. Uh, Leo Palma is the name, and um, they were wearing overcoats, overcoats, shiny boots. And um, yeah, it was cold as balls. I mean, this is this is Christmas. We're effectively right. three days from Christmas. Right. Uh, basically, Hanke, a German officer, spoke English. Said, "I want to see the commanding officer of this section." So, of course, this PFC is like speechless. He's like, "What? <laughs> you got white flags and a briefcase? You just walked up to my foxhole and said we want to speak to the with, commanding with, officer with a bazooka in hand, right. like right. you know, like what the heck?" So, the staff sergeant was sitting there, uh, had been manning a position nearby. I, I guess he, he walked out uh, to the road and called the group over to him. The Germans explained that they had a written message to be presented to the American commander who was in Bastogne, okay, whoever was in charge there. As fate would have it, Brigadier General Anthony C. McAuliffe. McAuliffe, a.k.a. Tony's Nuts. Tony Nuts. So Hanke said the um, German officer said they would consent to being blindfolded and taken to the American Command Center, okay? (laughs) In fact, they actually brought their own blindfolds with them, right, and blindfolded each other. So at this point, they're brought not before the Brigadier General. They're brought before one of the... The mid mid ranking guys, I believe Jones, Lieutenant Jones, I think. Yeah, they took him to a roundabout. That's um, they took him a roundabout way to the they call it command post of F Company, which is basically a large foxhole in the woods, right? So they took him blindfolded, so they wouldn't know how they got there. About a quarter mile away. So after arriving there, they were joined by Captain James Adams, who had been at a forward observation post when he was notified of these Germans you know, coming up with these white flags. So he arrives, he's informed that the German major had already presented a written message, okay? Reading the message to the battalion command post. So from there, another headquarters was told to retrieve the message and bring it to divisional headquarters. So we're getting, moving up the ranks here. So the two blindfolded officers were kept in the woods. The infantrymen who came with them are still out at the The enlisted guys. Yeah, the enlisted guys are out at the foxhole with the bazooka, right? And now they took the written message from the officers and they're taking it to the divisional headquarters. Up the chain of command. Going up the chain of command. Divisional headquarters. So once it all came in, the command center there, Colonel Bud Harper eventually received it. Well, yeah. Well, it's saying here that Acting Chief Ned Moore entered Brigadier General Tony Nutz's sleeping quarters. Uh, He woke him up and said, the Germans have sent some people forward to take our surrender. Moore recalled that Brigadier General still half asleep said, nuts. And started to climb out of his sleeping bag. Moore then went out into the communication center where he briefed the rest of the division staff of the ongoing situation, including telling them of calls for Mark of Nuts. When Major Jones arrived with the message, the staff looked at it before taking it to McAuliffe. So the German surrender demand was typewritten on two sheets. One was in English, the other in German. And this is what it said. Bill, you want to go ahead and read it? Sure, I'll say it. I'll go ahead. December 22nd, 1944, to the USA commander of the encircled town of Bastogne. The fortune of war is changing. The time the USA forces in and near Bastogne have been encircled by strong German armored units. More German armored units have crossed the river or near Ortherville, have taken march and reached St. Hubert by passing through Hompre Cible Telon Libon in German hands. I'm not French, hope that was right. There is only one possibility to save the encircled USA troops from total annihilation. This is the honorable surrender of the encircled town. 
In order to think it over, a term of two hours will be granted beginning with the presentation of this note. If this proposal should be rejected, one German artillery corps and six Navy AA battalions are ready to annihilate the USA troops near Bastogne. The order for firing will be given immediately after this two-hour term. All the serious civilian losses created by this artillery fire would not correspond with the well-known American humanity, the German commander. Yeah, it, it's great. What a great letter, right? Like, it just, that creases me just hearing it. So the division operations officer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Harry Kennard, recalled that McAuliffe initially asked, they want to surrender? And Moore said, no, sir, they want us to surrender. <laughs> McAuliffe arose and erupted in anger, which shocked those looking on. He took the paper, looked at it, and said, us surrender? Oh, nuts, and dropped it on the floor. Major Jones was dismissed. McAuliffe then left the headquarters to go to congratulate a unit on the western perimeter that had successfully taken out a German roadblock earlier in the morning. When Jones left the headquarters, he went back to the F Company command post and spoke with the two German officers. When he returned to the regimental headquarters, he phoned the division headquarters. Upon returning to the division headquarters, McAuliffe was informed that Jones had phoned to say that the two German officers were still waiting for the F Company command post's response. Since they brought a formal demand, they felt they were entitled to a formal reply, and they were to return to the German lines two hours after delivering their message. So McAuliffe asked uh, that Colonel Harper be summoned to division headquarters. Harper, who was still inspecting his unit's position, was contacted by radio. When Harper arrived at the headquarters, he was asked to wait outside of the closed door to McAuliffe's quarters. Inside, in the presence of his staff, McAuliffe wondered aloud, Well... I don't know what to tell him. At that point, Kennard said, What you said initially would be hard to beat. McAuliffe asked, What do you mean? <laughs> Kennard said, Sir, you said nuts. All members of the staff enthusiastically agreed. So McAuliffe wrote it down on a message pad <laughs> and said, Have it typed up. The reply was typed up, centered on a full sheet of paper, read December 22nd, 1944, to the German commander, Nuts, signed in, the American commander. In capital. <laughs> in all capital bold, letters. Yeah. Bold letters, Nuts. nuts. So McAuliffe dismissed his staff and asked that Harper come in. So he initially toyed around with him a little bit, um, and then he showed him the surrender demand and asked if he had already seen it. Harper said no. McAuliffe asked him to read it and suggest how it should be answered. Harper was surprised by the request and quickly tried to draft a reply in his head. At that moment, a clerk typist entered the room and handed McAuliffe a sheet of paper. He looked at it and then showed it to Harper, the typed nuts reply, asking him if he thought it was a proper reply. Harper read it and started laughing. McAuliffe asked Harper to personally deliver the reply to the Germans, cautioning him not to go into the German lines. So Harper takes the uh, reply back, drove all the way back to F Company command post. He says, hey, man, we got the reply. That's what was written or verbal. He says, it's written, and he puts it in the hand of the blindfolded German major. Hinky asked about the contents of the re a reply because if it was affirmative, they were authorized to negotiate further. Harper said the reply consists of a single word, nuts. Hinky, the German officer, not understanding, asked, is that reply negative or affirmative? Harper said the reply is decidedly not affirmative, <laughs> adding, if you continue this foolish attack, your losses will be tremendous. The German officer translated for the major. The major nodded. The two blindfolded German officers were then driven, again by a roundabout route, back to their entry point at the farm, rejoined by their enlisted people. They asked, what does this mean? They obviously didn't understand the American slang. So the two American soldiers discussing how to explain it suggested, tell them to take a flying shit. <laughs> So he thought about it, then then straightened up, faced uh, the Germans, and he told them, 
you can go to hell. It means you can go to hell. So then Harper said, if you continue to attack, we will kill every goddamn German that tries to break into this city. Then the German officers replied by saying, we will kill many Americans. This is war. Then the American said, on your way, bud, and good luck to you. After the German walked away, the American angrily yelled, if you don't know what I'm talking about, simply go back to your commanding officer and tell him to just plain go to hell. <laughs> so... You can see it's getting pretty, you know, tempers are getting pretty raised. I mean, these Germans all, like, up on their high horse. Right. Come in. Like to, this judge. Oh. Like this judge. Turn time together. Come in into the world of the Americans here and say, you will surrender or we will kill everyone. Right. Right? Which, man, if you're an American, that's just the wrong approach. Okay? Anyway, so that's what they do. As the German uh, officer's walking away, he threw his blindfold. He took it off. He threw it, and it fell into the a foxhole of Pappas. Palma. 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 The soldier Palma, who didn't realize, obviously, how historically important this blindfold would have been. Right. And he actually used it to wipe his gun, to wipe his gun off and <laughs> threw it away. Anyway, yeah, the German party returned to their lines. The uh, American Harper began to regret losing his temper, fearing it would may increase intensity of the attack. According to a narrative written by Hanke, the German officer, when he returned to the vehicle, he was putting his pistol belts back on. And the major actually removed his pistol from his trouser pocket and put it in his holster, stating that he wasn't going to get caught without protection. So he actually had his gun with him that whole time, yeah. um, which is kind of funny. But the officers drove off to their headquarters. Oh, so on their way to headquarters, they saw the car of their general, Von Mantefool or whatever, parked by a thicket of trees, and the major stopped and reported to the general. Then they proceeded to their headquarters, all right? So when they got there, General Von Lutwitz, the corps commander, happened to be there. They presented the nuts reply. Upon hearing the negative reply, General Bayerlin said it was time to start striking out with the heavy artillery located behind the hill. He was interrupted by General von Lutwitz, who stated that the heavy artillery was no longer located there. It had been moved to a forward position past Bastogne. So Berlin then uh, started to explain how he would attack Bastogne without the heavy artillery, but was again interrupted by von Lutwitz to remind him that Bastogne was not his objective and ordered the Panzer to Tank Division to proceed around Bastogne to Rochefort and leave Bastogne to the 26th Volks. Grenadier Division, okay? So ultimately, you know, and this is a 100% accurate story, so I know that's kind of a lot. So ultimately what happens is this. I'll give you a summary. To boil it down, yeah. These Germans show up demanding the Americans surrender the city of Bastogne, okay? Or they're going to completely annihilate them. annihilate them. The entire, all the civilians. They it's s- over. Right. They send this note to say, you do this. Or else. And, you know, like, we, we, but to rub salt in the wound, you know, that's when they wrote that line, we know the great American humanity. Right. You know, just the, the, the absolute hubris. Right. And <laughs> of these people. And our response is. Nuts. Nuts, which... Go to hell. Go to hell. That's a nice <laughs> way. I would, I would use a different term, but go to hell works, right? I'm, I'm just quoting what So they go back, and the anger, this general's anger, he wants to just blow like, him out yeah. of the water, just like the note said, but didn't realize he doesn't have the power to do it. Exactly. Doesn't have the power to do it. The commanding officer of the German outpost there, he's like, listen... The artillery you want to use is way past Bazone, and annihilating this isn't even your directive. You're not even following your orders, essentially. Yep. So, to tie this all back to Shelley Luther's nuts, 
what we see here is this kind of parallel that you can also see, you know, throughout history, basically standing up, saying nuts, saying no, go to hell. I'm not, you know, do your worst effectively with this particular German commander. He didn't, not only did he not have the resources, but he didn't have the authority. Authority, the backing, the, it was, it was just what he wanted to do. Exactly. And that's not how we run our government, folks. Well, well, it's not how it's supposed to be run. Well, exactly. And there's people have to answer for what's happening right now. And this judge is one of them. You, you have to answer the governors who have said what they've said. These, um, what do you want to call them? They're not laws. These, these orders, these orders. Thank you. These They're orders. Not, that's, you know, in order for something, I'm just, this is a little piece of legislative information in order for something to be a law, whether it be a local state, federal, a law has to be drafted, presented, and then that governing body of the representatives of those people need to vote and approve it. And then it has to be passed into law, right? It's like me giving Jason an order, say, Jason, go ahead and go weed my backyard. And if you don't, you owe me a hundred dollars, or you go to jail. You go to jail. <laughs> what the? Right. No, man. I, I hate to break it, but um, yeah, it doesn't work that way. We have rights. It doesn't work that way. We have rights. We have a constitution that tells us what our rights are. We have bill of rights in that constitution, and you can't just take people's rights away. Even if you think it's the right thing to do as a politician, you can't do it. That's the whole purpose of it. That's the whole purpose of having it is your job is as a politician is to uphold that constitution. And as a, I don't care if it's a soldier or a police officer or an FBI agent or whatever the hell it is, is to uphold and protect that constitution. Well, period, end of story. The constitution is in America, it's gospel is the thing. You can't just say, I don't, you know, look, man, there's this illness. So the constitution's thrown out the window. no. You can't do that. Like, when I say you can't, I mean you can't. Nuts. 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 No, 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 no. Go to hell. You cannot, you cannot say, well, you know what? Pause on the Constitution. No. No. It doesn't doesn't work that way. Work that way. And. You know, the, the interesting thing is, is that we need, what we need to realize is that we don't have a democracy. We have a constitutional republic. And the difference is, is, is that we, the people, elect representatives to enforce our wishes, our will, to represent our vote. And we've completely just handed over, you know, our rights. And, you know, the two things that keep going through my mind is, and I share this in another episode, Ben Franklin said, those who would trade their freedom for temporary security deserve neither their freedom nor their security. And we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind. And we need to revisit the the writings of our founding fathers. For sure. And let's, and let's tie this back again to the young lady who reopened her salon. God, the my reality God, good is for this. her. The reality is this. When she reopened that salon, it's a choice she made. Right. Which, totally legal choice that she made. She offered jobs back to her workers who, if they didn't feel comfortable, didn't she didn't force anyone back. They didn't have to go back. These are folks who felt com- comfortable and said, okay. Um, she also tried to do everything she could to follow mm-hmm. whatever protocols. By the way, they don't want to mention that. Right. Or masks. Right. Only limited like one right. or two people at a time. Yeah. Limited how many people come in, all that sort of stuff. But the customers who came in weren't forced to come in. If they didn't feel safe, because by the way, customers came in. Okay. <laughs> if they didn't feel safe, right. if, if they were worried, guess what their right is? Stay at home. Stay at home. 
Absolutely. Don't go there. You know, the absolute irony of all this is, which not too many people have discussed, is that we talked about this in a former episode where the mayor of L.A., you know, it's like, you know, you used to hear snitches get stitches, but now snitches get rewards, right? Right. Do you, there was the, how this was reported was there was a dog groomer who has a business literally across the street, saw the line of people and turned her in. Now think about this. The dog groomer is a quote unquote essential business and was allowed to continue to operate, make a living, employ people. But the woman across the street wasn't, and this person had the gall to rat her out. Yeah, it's nuts. It's, it's sick, man. Nuts. It's it's it makes me absolutely sick. So you know, really, what we're trying to get out about today's episode is you know we it's it's tyranny and, and how we have to stop it. You know, we have tyranny going on right here in our own country on a really large scale that I I cannot believe I'm seeing with my own two eyes, and it's not a movie. I just can't believe that this is happening right here, right now, and so many folks are okay with it. Yeah, I know everyone thinks, oh, it's only temporary. No, no, it's not. And only that's temporary. the argument. Name. Let me tell you this. Name a if time you get your, if you get your hand cut off, the pain's only temporary. But you know what? You don't get back your hand. And that's exactly my point. Name a time ever in history when any government exchanged security temporarily and then gave their freedom back. And even in America, and people completely overlooked this. It, after 9-11 happened, the Patriot Act was passed. My God, how unconstitutional was that? But you know what? At the time, everybody was freaked out. Everybody was afraid that there was a jihadist around every corner and that if they worked in a building that was more than 10 stories high, they were going to have a Cessna or whatever. Uh, and at the time, living through that, there was a certain level of, yeah, you understand. But the Patriot Act never sat well with me because I thought there is information that you don't need right. from me. Why have intelligence agencies? Why do our tax monies go to those FBI, CIA when... We're willingly giving this information over. And right now, even this week, you know, General Flynn, American hero, was exonerated. You know, what we're finding out now, and get all those conspiracy theorists that love to tell me, get ready to email info at The Obama administration not only knew of it, but allowed this. And, you know, even like President Trump the other night at his press conference was talking about this, and he goes, they're human scum. They're traitors. They're, this is treason. Ladies and gentlemen that are listening to this, we need to understand this isn't some Orwellian. You know, it, it, it's weird because what I see happening right now is a weird mixture between 1984 by George Orwell, Brand New World by Aldous Huxley, and Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, which are fantastic books if you haven't read them. And those are books that are always on like those banned book lists. So if you can find them, please read them because they talk about this dystopic political future that you read like, no, that can never happen. You know, a brand new world is about medical tyranny and all the, and it's like, this is happening. Right. And even another interesting thing, I was learning about Rod Sterling this week. You know who Rod Sterling is? No. Rod Sterling created Twilight Zone. Okay. And, you know, I love, like, on Netflix, I love going back and watching those old episodes. I'm like, wow, you 
No, but you're starting to see, oh my gosh, right? Well, Rod Sterling was in Air Force intelligence during World War II. He was part of the Nuremberg trials. A lot of the things that he witnessed that the Nazis had wanted to execute, that they had planned, what he did, being a smart writer, much like Orwell, much like Huxley, much like Rand, put this into the trope of science fiction to give us a warning, to say, my imagination is not that great that I can conjure this BS up. There are entities, if you will, that are influencing others. And he was just simply transcribing it into a half hour palatable television show to make you think. Yeah, folks, I don't know how much more data needs to come out to get you scratching your head. But I will say this, um, a lot of my friends that I have that, you know, and I don't force my opinions on anyone, um, but a lot of them who are still pretty much going along with the narrative over the last couple of weeks are like, uh, scratching their heads, right? And a funny story is, um, I'm going to name any names here, but a, a friend of mine and his wife um, were both just tested for the antibodies, okay? She was positive for the antibodies, which means she had already had COVID-19, okay? And her husband, that they live together. They're in a house together. In the same house, same bed. Sleep in the same bed. Right, with kids. Um, well, their kids are actually at their in-laws because um, she works in the hospital system. So they sent the kids to the in-laws basically for a couple months because they didn't want anything to happen. So anyway, she tested positive for the antibodies. He tested negative for the antibodies, hmm. which is kind of strange. Things that make you go, hmm. Right? Um, so that's just one thing. Another thing is I know New York just came out with a study. Uh, I don't remember which institution it was, but a study on New York. Beginning of this week or then last week where they had like 250,000 people tested for the antibodies, which you can go get tested for. It's just a blood test, folks. And however many people they had tested, um, there were like 250,000 people who had the antibodies out of this number was tested. Anyway, when they run the numbers and they run up, you know, do all their whatever paired to this many people and that many people and how many deaths, it lowered the mortality rate to 0.7%. From 7% down to 0.7%. It's like a thousand percent this, this reduction. same type of a study came out a month ago from Stanford. Okay. So this isn't like one time, like the same stuff's coming out again and again and again. Right. Yes. It is a virus. Yes. People are getting sick. Yes. People are dying. Very small numbers. And I hear people, and again, the first thing you hear when you say that is, it's not okay for anyone to die. No, it's not. I get it. Yeah, that right? is the fate that befalls all right. mankind. But, but what I want to say is I want to say, I just want to say, we don't do the same thing for things that are just as bad or worse. The flu, influenza. Right? We have 650,000 people, something like that, in America every year that die from heart disease. 650,000 people yeah. cancer, that die from heart disease. Well, yeah. Another 600,000 that die from cancer. 80,000 that die from the flu every year. And we are giving away our freedoms and shutting down our economy to a virus that is going to kill like 50,000 people. No, no, no. I'm going to... Uh, Respectfully, I'm going to disagree because here's the thing, and this is what kind of creases me is like, and I'm sorry, I'm going to speak my mind. You know, you see, it's it's trendy now to wear these masks. And listen, if that's what you need to do, do it. But it don't virtue signal to me because here's the thing. And what we don't realize is that the CDC estimates that 300,000 people in the third world are dying a day of hunger and starvation. This is the reason why once the first world collapses, the third world is annihilated. And I'm, I agree with Jason. Loss of life is sad and tragic. I, it is. But we need to just look at the bigger picture, right? You got Bill Gates like, giving TED Talks talking about depopulation and eugenics. We're wearing Louis Vuitton masks. My God. My God. Like, 
I just want to have some perspective, and I'm, I'm not trying to be a certain way, but I just want us to look and think that 300,000 people a day dying in a far-off land we don't think about because of what's happening here. Let that just sink in. And to me, that's just, that's heartbreak. Look, we can't, uh, we can't give our liberties away. We can't give our rights away. Uh, I really don't care. We can't do it. We have the right to open our businesses and run our businesses lawfully, which she was doing, she was doing, which everyone should be able to do. Um, we have the right not to go to those businesses. Yeah. You have the right to stay in your home. You have the right to wear a mask. Those are your rights. My rights are to not wear a mask. Exactly. My rights are to not stay at home. My rights are to frequent any business that I want to frequent. That's legal, actual laws. Right. I'm not saying that you don't follow actual laws. I'm saying that you can't just say one day, okay, this is the new, this order supersedes the Constitution and the rest of the laws. No, no, it doesn't. Thanks for playing. It does not. This isn't a war. This isn't, they keep calling it the invisible enemy or whatever the hell. No. It's not. It's a freaking virus, okay? It's a created, it's a, it's man-made, bio-engineered. Right, Even if it's not, doesn't matter. It's an illness like the flu and everything else. It's not an invisible. This isn't a war, folks. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> they went that narrative, and I don't like it at all. It's not a war, okay? No, it is a war, but not in the context that you're talking about well, right it's now. Not a war it's a war on liberty. Virus. It's a it's a war. Right. It's a war on freedom because it, it's a war of seeing how far these globalists, these and this is big lofty stuff. These are these this group, and I know this is a hard thing. You know, it's like oh James Bond, you know, but you know, like this book Tragedy and Hope I've been reading is like it's all in here. Right. If you know anything about eugenics, if you know anything about, you know, we're talking about the literally the SS, we're talking about the Nazi, if you know anything at all, Operation Paperclip, if you know anything about Margaret Sanger, if you know anything about Watson, who created IBM, all this stuff, how the ties to Bill Gates, all this stuff, if you understand this, if you follow the trail, it becomes very clear and you begin to see what's happening. We are focusing on America because this is our background. This is this is our uh, where we live. This is, uh, you know, home turf for us. But this is a global thing. And if we continue to acquiesce, if, if we have the ability, we will have to fight for our freedoms. They're not going to come back. That's Correct. never, ever, ever happened. We're being attacked, folks, but not by coronavirus. Exactly. Okay? Exactly. We're, we're being attacked by tyrannical leaders who are trying to take our liberties away. You can't go surfing on a beach in California? I just saw a funny post where someone went out to the beach and built a... Kind of like a scarecrow, if you will. Okay. Okay. With a fishing pole into the surf and two empty beer bottles. <laughs> and he's just standing there. It looks like a guy standing there fishing. And uh, there's other people standing there. And, and uh, three police officers are looking. And it shows the three police officers approaching because he was all by himself, no one around. <laughs> and sure enough, they went to arrest the guy or whatever they went to do. And uh, it, it wasn't a person. It was a scarecrow. And just hats off to that, whoever did whoever that. That's did hilarious. That, yeah. But that that's hilarious. That's that just goes to show you. Are you kidding me? You can't go stand on the beach by yourself and go fishing? Give me a freaking break. I want to thank you guys for listening. Agree, disagree. Email us, info at flawedinc.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Parlor Gab, Flawedinc, Flawedinc CLE, Flawedcast. Please subscribe on YouTube. Make sure you do. You hit that bell. Apple, Google, Breaker, Spotify. Uh, appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Be safe. Late.